Well, good morning, Gateway family. It is great to see you. I hate to break up all the fellowship. I love the, the noise and the fun of being together on campus this morning. So to those of you in the sanctuary, greetings to you. Those worshiping in the gym with us, greetings to you as well. And those at home, we're so grateful you've tuned in and are still worshiping with us as you worship from home during this strange season of COVID. So just a few announcements for you of things going on in the life of the church. We want to make sure you're aware of. First of all, you've heard us talk about for several months Operation Christmas Child. This is a great outreach where you pack a shoebox with gifts for kids, and it goes all over the world to unreached people groups, and the kids get in these poor areas of the world with a Christmas gift, but with that, they get an opportunity to do a Bible study with missionaries and learn about the gospel. So it's a shoebox of a Christmas gift that opens up a world of evangelistic opportunities all over the unreached people groups of the world. If you, it's not too late to participate. The boxes are due next Sunday, so the 15th. So if you've not finished yours yet, which would be our family as well. One week to get your shoeboxes packed and ready and bring them back next Sunday. Just out in the office, outside the office here in the hallway, you'll see it. There's plenty of space to, to drop off your boxes there, and we'll collect them through November 15th next Sunday. If you haven't started yet, it's not too late either. Again, we haven't packed hours. we got seven days, and you do as well. There's some empty boxes in the very back there by the doors where Mike Mertz, our chairman of Deacon Estate. There's Mike back there. You can wave at Mike. So Mike is showing off one of the, sh the Christmas shoe boxes. And so you can get one of those as you leave this morning and still have time to participate in this outreach opportunity. I also want to make you aware of this afternoon at four o'clock here in the sanctuary is another prayer gathering. Mike and then Parker Harris, who leads our young adult life group along with Zach, um, Mike and Parker had had this vision of us having more opportunities as a body to pray together. So there's a corporate prayer gathering at 4 o'clock here. We do that every other Sunday afternoon. And if you're able to come earlier on Sunday mornings at 8 a.m., there's an opportunity to pray before the Bible studies at 8 a.m. on Sunday morning. So I hope you guys can come this afternoon. We also have an opportunity where we have some needs for some help in serving around the body. And that's with our tech team. You guys don't see them week by week, but up in the sound booth are several guys every Sunday who are making everything happen here. From what you see on the screen, what we call pro presenter to what you hear in the room, and then what is happening over our live stream. And we need to build that team out a little bit more. Some of those guys have been very gracious, but they're up there a lot. I'd love for them to be able to worship with their families more. So if you have a, a leaning towards technology or sound or enjoy things like that, if you'll see Justin and let him know, we could use more people to help with that. We could also use some people to help us run the live stream in the gym as well. Beyond that as well, we're building an information technology team here to help handle the IT needs of the church office. And so if you like playing with technology, and if you're good, and you're good at playing with technology, let me include that in there as well. If you'd see Ethan White, and he's our IT assistant here at the church, we're trying to build a volunteer team. So lots of opportunities if you like technology and are good with it to help us in these different ministry areas. So see me, see Justin, if you'd like to learn more about that. One last announcement this morning is the Baptist Campus Ministries at AUM. We've done things with them for many years. They have a fantastic ministry to the college students on the AUM campus. And they do a BCM Thanksgiving dinner for the college students every year as an outreach, not only just to serve the Christian students on campus, but as an outreach as well. And one thing that Gateway's done for years is we provide desserts for that. As that's coming up as well just in next week, and so not this upcoming week, the week after, if you'd like to provide a dessert to help out with the Baptist Campus Ministries Thanksgiving dinner, just please let us know. If you'll talk to CJ about that, call the office, send CJ an email, let him know if you can participate. We'll need the desserts a week from Tuesday on the 17th. And so if you'd like to participate, please um, let CJ know. We'd love your help in blessing the college students at AUM. I want to turn our hearts to the Lord this morning. I ask you to stand, please, as I read from one of the Psalms as we prepare to worship the Lord in song this morning. From Psalm number 29. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. 
The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And all in his temple cry glory. Friends, we get to worship the all-glorious one, the great I am this morning. We get to lift our voices in this song as we sing of how glorious our God is. Let's worship him this morning. Forever we sing 
It's love. 
more time together. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow.
to see you face to face. To know your love by crying like a flood has never broken up. Pouring out on us, oh, praise the King who came to the world. His love like a mighty flood. Know your love. To know your love. thank you for this day. We just want to praise you, Father. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God who came down to this earth to love us, to save us, Lord, from our sin. We thank you that you're a God that left your spirit with us after you, Jesus, ascended back to the Father. And Lord, I pray this morning that your spirit, your presence, um, we just thank you that it's here, that you're here. We thank you that you invite us into your presence to come boldly because of the work that Jesus Christ has done, that we may worship you and, and just experience the delight and joy in your presence, Father. And Lord, your word says that those who keep their mind fixed on you are stayed in perfect peace. And so we just pray that this morning, Father, that right now in this time, on this morning, with so much going on in our world and around us in our lives, that we would fix our minds on you that we would trust you, that we would know that you are the only rock, that you are our foundation, Lord. And we just praise you for that this morning. And we just want to declare that as a body collectively, that you are our God, that you are worthy of our trust, that you're worthy of our praise. And we just thank you, Father, for loving us, even though we don't deserve it. We praise you for that. We thank you, Father. And Lord, we want to lift up these specific prayer requests to you today. Lord, we lift up the marriages and gateway. Lord, that can be a difficult thing sometimes. As two people, two sinners come together in this covenant relationship, there can be conflict and there can be struggles and there can be all those types of things, Father. And we just pray that you would renew each and every marriage here this morning, that you would renew the mindset, Father, that we're to have, that, that, that is influenced by Scripture, that our marriages are a reflection of, of your love for the church. And so, Lord, I pray that today, each and every husband, each and every wife, that we would remember that, that we are married not for our own comfort, not for our own happiness, not for our own benefit. We are married first and foremost for your glory and to model the gospel on this earth, Lord. And so we just pray for a renewed sense of purpose on that this morning, that you would, 
just call us back to repentance, each and every one of us, that you would call us to love one another and to lay our lives down for one another, Lord. And, and that through these marriages, you would be made much of in our families, in our city, in our country, Lord. We just pray that you would bring just a renewal of those marriages at Gateway this morning. And for anyone that, that is struggling and needing help, Father, I pray that they would reach out for that, whether it be to a friend or, or to the pastors here, the elders here, the deacons here, just whoever, Father. We just pray that we would not try and walk this life alone, that we would welcome the community of faith into our lives, that we would take advantage of the power that there is in you and in your church, Father. We just pray that over our marriages today. We pray for our teachers in our schools, Lord. They are on the front lines of so much in this city, Lord. They are, are, are so much more than just teaching education. There's so many issues and, and things that they face each and every day. We just pray, especially for our brothers and sisters who are teachers, Lord, we pray that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would give them great wisdom, great compassion, great love, great mercy for their students, and that you would just protect them and take care of them and provide them everything they need, Lord. We pray for the encouragement. Um, to our, to our school system and teachers with the tax that recently passed, Lord, that they would be encouraged by that, to know that their community is behind them and that you would bring about a change in our schools, Father. We just ask for that. Lord, we pray for Strong Tower Church here in town and Pastor Terrence Jones. What an awesome body that is, and a congregation there in West Montgomery doing amazing work. We just pray that you would encourage them today, that you would protect them from the attacks of the enemy, that you would cause them to be a very bright light in that part of our city, Lord, that they would make relationships with people um, who normally would not go to, to any other church. Lord, we just pray you give them wisdom and, and strategy and everything they need to reach out to their community there, that you would just take care of them in that, Lord. Lord, we pray for our nation and the election that, that is just completed, Father. And we just pray uh, in this time in particular, Lord, for the church, that we would not put our hope in man, that we would not put our hope in a new leader or in an old leader, that we would not divide over the same things this world divides over, that we would reject um, putting our hope in a man, Lord, and that we would instead put our hope in you, that we would not divide over these temporary things. The President of the United States is a temporary position that you are, that's going to be no more when you return, Lord. And so I pray that you would give us an eternal kingdom mindset that, that as, we, as we're celebrating or as we're worried or whatever it is, Lord, that we would set those things aside and that we would be the church here in this city, Lord, here in this country, and that you would show us how to bring unity at the cross rather than unity around anything else, Father. We just pray that our hope would be in you and that you would show us how to be salt and light in this country at this time, Lord. Lord, we pray for the unreached people, the Tai Kang of China. They're a Buddhist group. They also look to ancestral spirits, Lord. And we just pray that uh, they're an unreached people. We pray for the underground church in China, that, that you would give them a great passion and a desire to continue to meet, continue to press into you, and also continue to, to evangelize their country, Father. And we pray specifically that they would go to this people group, that you'd give them wisdom how to do that, uh, missionaries, that they would reach them through their agricultural trades, Lord. We just pray that you would help them and, uh, and guide them in that, Father, that you would save this people. Lord, we pray for the offering given today and online. We just pray that we would worship you by giving of our money and our resources, Lord, that it would be an opportunity for us to joyfully declare our dependence on you as we give the money that you've entrusted to us as stewards, Lord, as we give back to you what you've already given us, Lord, and that we would do that with joyful hearts and that this church, that we as the leadership would use that money um, with great wisdom, with great discernment for the furtherance of your kingdom in our city and in this world, Father. Just help us in that. And Lord, we finally we pray for Grady as he shares this morning. We pray that you would give him 
uh, just clarity as he recalls what he studied all week, what you've been speaking to him through your word all week, Father, that he would be able to proclaim that clearly and that we would um, receive that word, that you, Holy Spirit, would cause that to do a work in our own hearts and that you would make us more like yourself through this sermon that's getting ready to happen today. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name. It is great to see you this morning, and guys up in the booth, can you pull the room lights up a little bit so it's easier for your scripture? There we go. Thanks so much. Why don't you find James chapter 5 this morning? James chapter 5. As we find James 5, I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you a patient person? Here's some giggles around the room and some laughter. Are you a patient person? Let me ask it another way. Do you like to wait? What happens in your soul when you've gone shopping at Walmart and you get there and self-checkout is closed and there's only one line open and it's 15 people deep. What happens to your soul at that point? What happens to you when you're, you or your kids are wanting Chick-fil-A and you pull in the drive-thru and it just stops? And 30 minutes later you finally make through. That happened yesterday to me. And so what happens to your soul when you're stuck in a drive-thru and can't get out? What happens when you're on a two-lane road and the car in front of you is going five or ten under the speed limit and it's a no passing zone? What's going on in your soul at that point. What happens in your soul when you have been waiting for, arguing with an automated system on the phone, and you finally get to the live person, and they put you on hold for 30 minutes? What happens to your soul when you have to wait? Are you and I a people who are patient and who can wait? But have you noticed, friends, that we can wait patiently and with joy for some things? I mean, have you guys ever watched an opening day at a Krispy Kreme or a Chick-fil-A? And the people who will get there like 12 to 20 hours before the Chick-fil-A or the Krispy Kreme opens and will literally camp outside for a day because of the prospect of free donuts for a year, of free chicken sandwiches for a year, they don't seem to mind waiting in that. Or when the new movie comes out, the people who don't seem to mind waiting for weeks and weeks with anticipation for that new movie and they get to the theater hours before the tickets go on sale to try to get them without grumbling or complaining, they can patiently wait for that. Or if you're like me, you don't mind waiting an hour and a half for a 20-second roller coaster. Because you know at the end of that hour and a half, wait, you're going to get shot up 400 feet at 120 miles an hour. It's going to be amazing. Do you mind waiting? Well, there are things that we don't mind waiting for. And what that shows us, friends, is that we can patiently wait for some things if we really value what's on the other side of the waiting. That if we really value what's on the other side of the waiting, that we really can patiently wait. I've heard several of you tell me stories out of voting last Tuesday. I know one of you guys had told me you waited three hours to be able to vote. But it didn't seem like a bother as you were telling me this because you valued what you were getting to do on the other side of that waiting. Now, friends, what does this have to do with James's theme across these five chapters of walking in faith? What does it have to do with us living out what we claim to believe? Well, it has to do with a lot, friends, because if we struggle with being patient and waiting on the small things, we're probably going to struggle even more with being patient in the hard things of life, the things of more significance when we face real hardships. And by real hardships, it's not the long line at Walmart, but it's the sickness, the chronic pain, the broken relationship we want to be right, the false accusations or slander we endure, the mockery for our faith, and on and on we go. Friends, if we struggle being patient in the small things, what do we expect to happen when the real trials, the real hardships, the real inconveniences of life really hit? Because the reality of the truth of Scripture is that life will be hard at times. Our culture runs from this truth. The American church runs from this truth. But the reality of Scripture is the promise that life will be hard. 
Jesus told us this in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. I want you to see it up on the screen as we get ready for our James text. Jesus said, blessed are you if perhaps by some small percentage of the population, you are the people who were, no, it's blessed are you, not the word if, what's the next word? When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. I don't like the word when there. I wish it said if instead. So there'd be some percentage chance that maybe we're in the percent chance of people who don't experience this. But Jesus says, when, not if. That's what James has told us too as well. If you remember back several chapters ago to James chapter 1, verse 2. In James 1, 2, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, if? No. Nope. What's the next word again? Yeah. When you meet trials of various kinds. Again, the promise of Scripture, the norm of life is life will be hard. And just last week we saw this in our text in James chapter 5 when we looked at those first several verses of James chapter 5. In James chapter 5 verse 4, he's writing to the rich class of the society, the non-Christians at the time who were oppressing people, including many Christians. And he says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. That many at the time were suffering and were enduring hardships because they were being oppressed by those above them. The reality check from Scripture for us, friends, is that life is not easy. Yes, we will have minor inconveniences, but beyond that, friends, we all will walk through significant major hardships in our life. As we try to walk in faith in a broken, cursed, and fallen world, we will all experience significant major hardships as we walk through life. And Christians are not immune to it. But it's just this week, one of my favorite bloggers is a guy named Tim Challies. I love his blogs. I love the emails he sends out. And we've got the heartbreaking one this week, that his 20-year-old son, who was in Bible college at the, at the place where I did my seminary studies, died suddenly at a game night with his fiancée and his friends. 20-year-old healthy young man. This is the son of a prominent Christian thinker, someone who is influencing millions of Christians to think biblically. His son who's training for ministry, who's engaged to a girl who's serving in their church, this family that loves Jesus, the 20-year-old just suddenly dies. That's not an easy life. It's not a life that you would expect to happen. Trials come to believers and unbelievers alike. Friends, our faith is not a ticket to an easy life. Our faith does not free us from pain and suffering. Even as we walk with Jesus and walk in faith, the whole theme of James, we are still going to have to do so as we walk through major hardships in life. So the question is not if we walk through major hardships in life. The question is how will we walk through the major hardships in life when they come? And that's the theme we're going to look at today in the next two Sundays. The section of James we're coming to, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. If your Bible has subtitles like mine does, mine says patience and suffering. That's what we're coming to here. Those titles, by the way, are not inspired. Those are things the editors had to help us. But that's what we're coming to over these next, today and the next two Sundays, this theme of patience and suffering. But for today, the question is, what do we need to focus on? Life is going to be hard, so what do we focus on to help us walk in faith through the hardships of life? What do we need to keep our eyes fixed on if we want to be able to endure with joy, to be patient and to wait as we wait through the hardships of life? So be looking for that as we read this morning, just two verses this morning, James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God as we look at these two verses? I'm reading out the English Standard Version. The words will also be on the screen for you. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 
Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you that your word teaches all these different parts of our lives, and Lord, that you don't hold back words from us. You show us what life is like and what to expect, and you show us how to walk with you through it. And Lord, as we come to text on suffering, we know these aren't happy thoughts, but Lord, we thank you that you have a much bigger picture for us. And I pray this morning for myself and these precious brothers and sisters, God, that as we study your word, it would give us hope. Lord, I know there's many here who are walking through significant hardships now, and Lord, if we're not, hardships will come. Would you use your word today to become an anchor for us to help us keep the right perspective through whatever hardships we have to endure? And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Here's the main idea I want you to see from this text this morning, friends. It's simply this. Patiently waiting on Christ's return strengthens us for the hardships of life. Patiently waiting on Christ's return strengthens us for the hardships of life. Of life. When life is hard, friends, the hope for us enduring is not what I call white knuckle determination. It's not just I'm going to grit my teeth and try harder and I'm going to get through this. My hope is not in some type of self help group. The hope for us in enduring the hardships of life is on focusing on what's the other side of the waiting. Just as someone who can endure a 20 hours in the rain to get Chick-fil-A for a year and they can endure it with joy because they know what's coming from us, we can endure the hardships of life as we patiently wait for what's to come, and that is the return of Christ, the return of our Lord and Savior. Patiently waiting on Christ's return strengthens us for the hardships of life. I want us to unpack that idea this morning. Again, I want you to see from our text this morning we will have hardships. We already mentioned this earlier, but look again back in verse number 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers. Now, where's the reference to hardships and trials here? It's that word, therefore. The text we're coming to today has to be understood in what we saw last week in the previous six verses. What happened in the previous six verses? The church was struggling because believers were being persecuted. Believers were being oppressed. They were struggling to make ends meet. They were struggling to feed their families because this group of non-Christians who are primary, the landlords, were withholding wages and they were all struggling. Life was hard. And so the believers were not immune to suffering. Therefore, it's pointing us back to all the sufferings they've endured. So now what do they do? What is their perspective to be? These, as he calls them here, brothers, the brothers and sisters, these people that James loves in the church. How are they to respond to all the unjust suffering that they've experienced? Well, he tells them how they're to respond, and it's in an imperative, a command here. And it's very beginning of verse 7, be patient, to be patient. That's their command. Life is hard. Life is going to have suffering. Life is going to have trials. What are they to do? They're not to run away from it. They are to be patient through it. Now, what does it mean to be patient? We use that word a lot. If your house is like my house, we're telling our kids, be patient. You need to be patient. You need to be patient. We, we, we have to remind each other to be patient. What does it mean to be patient? Well, the, the dictionary definition of patience is pretty telling of what it is. This is coming from just the secular world, but they define patience as the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. So patience is you can accept or tolerate delays, trouble, or suffering without becoming angry or upset. So their definition focuses on what we might call from the biblical language of Ephesians, putting off. They're focusing on what patience is not. That if you're patient, you don't get angry, you don't get upset if you're delayed, troubled, or experiencing suffering. So you're putting off things. That means you don't yell at that single cashier at Walmart, right? They're not the ones that fought for you waiting in line 20 minutes at Walmart. You don't get angry at the person at the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. You don't get angry with your kids if they're making you two minutes late to church in the mornings. But when we're significant suffering, that means we don't take vengeance on the people who wrong us. We don't lash out in anger 
at others. We don't get angry with God when we don't have a perfectly easy, smooth life. So patience is what we're not doing. It's putting off something else. But I think that secular definition of patience misses something. I think James hints at it as well for us also. Because patience is not the same thing as passivity. Patience is not just, I'm going to throw up my hands and whatever happens, happens. I'm just going to sit back and relax and be chill with whatever's happening in life. The biblical language of Ephesians, when you put something off, you also put something on. You replace it with something else. And I believe that our patience is more than just, I don't get angry or upset, but I put on something else. I put on, in James's word, a steadfastness here. Look at verse 8 here. You also, he repeats himself, be patient. But this time he gives us a second imperative here, establish your hearts. Now some of your translations may say strengthen your heart or stand firm. So patience is not just we put off getting angry at delays or situations that we don't like. Patience is also we put on things, we establish our heart, we stand firm. So I want to give you a different definition of patience than the the dictionary gives. It's a really short definition, and I read this one this week and it just really resonated with me, that patience is active waiting. Patience is active waiting. Patience is then you're doing the things that you can do while you wait for the things that are outside of your control. Patience is active waiting. You do the things that are within your control, even as you wait to those times, those situations that are outside your control. You're still doing the good you can do in the midst of situations that are beyond your control. So some of you told me like when you were voting on Tuesday, you could have been really frustrated and impatient waiting for 30 minutes or an hour or two hours or three hours, but some of you made it a date with your spouse and enjoyed the time connecting in line together with one another. Some of you reached out to people and built friendships with someone in line with you. Some of you walked around and got to talk to people. You redeemed that opportunity. It was an active waiting. Perhaps you're in a traffic jam. You can't change that circumstance. So you can either be impatient or you can choose to put on something in its place. You could put on picking up the phone and calling that friend you haven't seen in a while, encouraging that brother or sister who's struggling. During that long line, 15 deep at Walmart, you can either get angry at people or you can put on an act of waiting. You can pull out your app on your phone and read your Bible. You can pray. You can talk to the people in line around you. You can actively wait. You can do things within your control while you wait on those things outside your control. And that means in the more serious hardships of life, when things are out of control with pain or suffering or things you're enduring, you can't control that, but you can control, by God's grace, your response. You can still do good to others. You can still pray. You can still worship. You can still trust God, and you can still serve others even when life is hard. I love how 1 Peter 4 says it. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, this is a good verse for us to really think on and chew on. The first part of it is probably not something that makes us feel so good, but listen to it. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer, and notice this next phrase, according to God's will. Now let's just stop right there, friends. The American church as a whole has bought into the lie, you've heard me say it before, that God's will for us is the American dream. It's to get from birth to death in the safest, happiest, easiest, most comfortable way possible. But here we see very clearly that God's will, even for his people, is for us to endure suffering Because in the midst of the suffering, God does things in us and through us that would not happen otherwise. So again, just go back to that. Those who suffer according to God's will, friends, the whole sermon for another day, suffering is not meaningless for the Christian because God has a purpose in it. So those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while they sit around and wait and bemoan how hard their life is. While they do what? What's the last word there? 
while they do good. Do you see the pattern here? This is active waiting. We cannot control many times the trials and the suffering and the hardships that we are going through, but we can trust in the goodness of God. We can trust that his sovereign will cannot be thwarted, and we can still seek to do good in the midst of us. Active waiting. Patience is active waiting. So we're deeming those opportunities in less than ideal situations. Now, James gives us a picture to help us understand this idea of patience as active waiting. And look at verse 7. He uses an agriculture analogy here for us. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, think back to the farming at the time in the Mediterranean region where these churches would have been. There weren't big sprinkler systems and irrigation systems. I mean, we go down the road now, and you see those big, massive sprinklers. They're so fun to watch as they water like hundreds of acres at once. They didn't have that when James was writing this. If they were going to have crops, they were dependent upon the rains. The early rains he referenced here are what happens this time of year, October, November. The late rains are what happens in March and April. And the farmers had to be dependent on the early rains in the fall and the late rains here in the spring if they were going to have a bountiful harvest, which was their only source of income and provision. They had to wait on the rains. They could do nothing out. There's nothing they could do to make it rain. That was completely outside of their control. So the farmer has to wait on the rains to wait on the harvest. But do you think those farmers just sat around the house all day doing nothing while they waited on the rains? Farmers practice active waiting. Yes, they have to wait on the rains and wait on the harvest, but they do everything within their control while they wait. They're still out in the fields weeding every day so things don't compete for resources. They're still hoeing the ground to help the moisture get down into it. They're still fertilizing. They're still chasing the pest away. They're still tending to the plants and pruning. Farmers demonstrate for us active waiting. They wait on those things outside of their control, but while they're waiting, they're actively doing the things that they can do to try to produce the harvest. Friends, that's a picture for us here, I believe James is painting, that when we face trials, when we face sufferings, when we face hardship in life, there's so many things outside of our control. But that doesn't lead to passivity. It leads to us doing the good we can do while we wait. That leads to a big question for us. What exactly are we waiting for? What is the hope on the other side? For the farmers here, it was the rain. But more than rain, it was the harvest that the rain would bring. But friends, we have something even more precious than the harvest. We have something more precious than the rain. We have something even better than free Krispy Kreme and free Chick-fil-A for a year. We have something better than a ride on a 400-foot roller coaster. We have something better than all these things. And what is it that we need to remember is coming on the other side of the suffering, the other side of this life? Well, James repeats it twice here. Verse 7, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Then he repeats it again in verse 8. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord of the Lord. We patiently wait for the coming of the Lord. This is a phrase in Scripture that refers to the second coming of Christ. At Christmas, which we'll be to in just a few weeks, which is hard to believe, we're celebrating the first coming of Christ. But this is talking about the second coming of Christ, when Christ returns. The Greek word for it is parousia. You sometimes hear people talk about that. It's a word that means the personal arrival of the King. And don't miss that. When you, when you see this phrase in Scripture of the second coming of Christ, the parousia is the personal coming of the King. This is not talking about God doing a Zoom meeting with us. Praise the Lord. This is God coming in person, Christ returning, and we see him personally, returning visibly in all of his glory that we sang about. Now, let's make sure we remember what the second coming 
is all about here. And Jesus himself tells us what the second coming is going to be like in Matthew chapter 24. I want to just give you a few things to help us get our minds back on what James is saying to focus on. So what do we know about the second coming? Number one, it's going to be unmistakable. When Christ returns, it will be unmistakable. Matthew chapter 24, verses 30 and 31. Then, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Friends, get your mind on that picture. That's going to be better than anything you can imagine in a movie, that scene right there. Friends, when Christ returns, it will be unmistakable. There's going to be no doubt that it's happening in what we see laid out with the trumpet call and the angels and what he is doing as he returns. So it will be unmistakable. Number two, though, we do not know when it will be. There are lots of false teachers out there who are going to try to tell us when Christ is coming back. And this is the year. He's coming soon. We don't know exactly when it will be. Matthew chapter 24, a few verses later in verse 36, Jesus himself says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. So it's going to be unmistakable when it happens, but we don't know when it is coming. That leads to number three. That means we should be ready when it happens. We should be ready when it happens. Matthew 24, a few verses later, in verse 44, Christ tells us this. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find him so doing when he comes. Can you notice something here? This is active waiting again. This person is waiting, this servant is waiting for the master to come, but the servant's not just sitting at home doing nothing because the master's away. The servant is trying to do what the master wants while the master is gone. So when the master returns, the master finds a servant being faithful with all that has been entrusted to him. Friends, when Christ returns, we don't want to be found at home, sitting at home, bemoaning how hard this broken life is. We want to be found doing all that Christ has called us to do. So we should be ready for it. Next thing we want to see about the return of Christ, it brings about the end of human history as we know it. It brings about the end of human history as we know it. Matthew chapter 25, one chapter over, verse 31, gives us a glimpse. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Friends, when Christ returns, it ushers in a whole new era of redemptive history. Things as we know it are no more in that time. The things as we know it will change when Christ returns. Whether there's two significant more things I want us to see about Christ's return. Next is a time of judgment for non-believers. When Christ returns, there will be a time of judgment for non-believers. Also, Matthew 25, the very next verse in verse number 32. Before him, before Christ, will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Verse 33 that follows. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. There will be a clear judgment coming, a clear differentiation of God's followers from those who do not believe in Him. And for those who do not believe in Him, there's judgment. In verse 41, a few verses later, we get a glimpse of that. Then he say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Friends, when Christ returns, there's no time for second chances at that point. Those who do not believe in Him, those who have not repented of their sins, who are not trusting Him as our Lord and Savior, there is a time of judgment with eternal consequences for them. But for us as believers, we escape that judgment, but it's a time of accounting for us as well. Same chapter, Matthew 25, back in verse 34. Look at what he says to the sheep, his people. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. 
inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And look at what he says here. But he wants to truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. There's an accounting before the Lord of what we did and what we did not do. If you think back a few weeks ago to sins of commission and sins of omission, then we'll give an account not just for the wrong things we did that we're able to escape the judgment. We'll give an account for whether or not we did the good things he called us to do, whether we actively waited during this season. So pull that back now to James chapter 5, verse 8. That's what's in view when we talk about the coming of the Lord. You also be patient. Be patient as you endure the hardships of life. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. So friends, how does focusing on those truths that Christ is coming again, it'll be unmistakable. That he is going to change things when he comes. That the, the wicked will be judged. That God's people will give an accounting. How does this change things for us today? How does it help us endure? How does it help us strengthen us? I want to give you this morning five ways that I believe focusing on the second coming of Christ gives us strength for hardships. Now, five ways I believe that us thinking about the second coming strengthens us for the trials we face. Number one, it reminds us that this is not our home. It reminds us this is not our home. Friends, if you think about it, if you are like me, most of the things I get impatient about have no eternal consequence. If, if, my, if, I'm, if I'm impatient with my kids because we're going to be five minutes late to some meeting, is there any eternal consequence to that? No. If I get delayed in the Chick-fil-A drive through 30 minutes, is that going to affect eternity? No. So much of the stuff that we get so impatient about with our coworkers, with our friends, with our family, has really no eternal consequence. And the reason we get impatient so we're living like this is everything now. We've lost sight of eternity. We've lost sight of what really matters. And we're living like this is everything. And when we turn our minds to Christ's second coming, we realize this is not our home. And it changes our perspective. We are like foreigners in a foreign land. I love how 1 Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He said, Beloved, I urge you. And notice the term he uses for this, the Christians, the saints here. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Some translations say as aliens and strangers, that this is not our home. And that truth puts life in perspective. So number one, it strengthens us by reminding us this is not our home. Number two, it strengthens us because it reminds us that the wrongs we have endured will be made right. The wrongs that we've endured will be made right. When Christ comes, judgment comes. So think back to last week to James chapter 5, verse 1. In their specific context, these early Christians are being oppressed by this rich class of non-believers. And what does he say? He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries, for the judgments that are coming upon you. Friends, no sins get away. No one gets away with their sin. And so what this does for us, it strengthens us because the wrongs we've endured at the hands of others will be made right. But we don't have to be the ones to make it right. We don't have to take vengeance. Remember, patience is not getting angry how are we able to do that? Because there's a just judge who will make all wrongs right one day. So we focus on the second coming. It reminds us this is not our home. Second, it reminds us that wrongs we've endured will be made right. But number three, it reminds us that we also will give an account. That we will give an account. Romans chapter 14, verse 12. So each of us will give an account to himself, before, to God. We give an account of ourselves before 
God. And like we said before, there's rewards for obedience and there's an accounting for disobedience. Now, how does that help us, friends? That's number four. It reminds us to pursue doing the good that God has called us to do. We remember we'll give an account. It reminds us then it calls us to do the good things God has called us to do, to actively wait. Romans chapter 12, we go back two chapters, verse 12 in Romans 12. Rejoice in hope. Here's this next phrase again. We don't like, be patient in tribulation. This whole thing we're seeing, we're to be patient, we're to be actively waiting in tribulation. And what does actively waiting look like when life is hard? He tells us, be constant in prayer. Goes on in verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Verse 14, he continues. Bless those who persecute you. Man, how countercultural is that? Bless and do not curse them. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And then in verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. You notice something in those four verses there? Be patient in tribulation. It doesn't have a period and you stop. Just endure. Sit at home. Try to endure. You'll be okay. This will all end one day. You're being told to actively do what you can do while you wait. You're to live in harmony. You're to seek to do good to other people. It's a text that calls us to active waiting, to doing the things that are in our control while we wait on those things outside of our control. But one last thing of how this helps strengthens us, when we think about the second coming, friends, it reminds us of our need for grace. It reminds us of our need for grace. Friends, who can live day by day thinking about that which is yet to happen? We struggle so much to even live with tomorrow in view sometimes, much less something that is, we don't know when it's coming. And so it reminds us of our need for grace. Who of us can seek to do good to others when we're hurting? If we're in pain or we're dealing with broken relations or we're dealing with some type of sickness, how countercultural is it to want to step out and seek to serve others while we ourselves are hurting? We can't do this in our own strength. And so as we focus on the second coming in the midst of the hardships of this world, it reminds us of our need for God's grace. And God loves to give his grace. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Notice that patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence, the outworkings of being filled with the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace. What's next? Patience, kindness. Notice the outward expression now. Goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. We can go on and on through that, friends. That the fruit of the Spirit includes patience. That we can't just get up tomorrow and be like, I'm going to be patient today. I can't manufacture patience. You can't manufacture patience. God manufactures patience in his people as he gives us grace upon grace, as he fills us with his Holy Spirit. He produces the fruit of this type of radical life that can patiently wait on Christ's return and find joy to walk through the hardships of this life. Friends, we need grace to live with this in view. Patiently waiting on Christ's return strengthens us for the hardships of life. It reminds us this is not our home. It reminds us that wrongs will be made right and we don't have to take vengeance. It reminds us we will give an account and so it leads us to then reorder our lives and seek to do good even as we walk through hardship and ultimately shows us that God gives us the grace we need to live in such a countercultural way. So back to my opening question, friends. Are we a patient people? And are we a people who mind waiting? And not just in the trivial things, but in the significant things of life. So I want to ask you, friends, on the easy days and on the hard days both, on the good days and the bad, are you experiencing God's grace that's strengthening you to find a patience that's really supernatural, that is a miraculous work of His Holy Spirit in you? Are you finding His grace to help you be patient and to not fixate on the here and now, but to think about eternity? Are you finding God's grace to focus your mind from the temporal to the eternal? And friends, with that, we need to ask myself and all of us, are we living with the second coming in view? 
or we so ordered our lives that we're getting impatient about little things because we're acting like this is our home, that this is everything. Are we living with the eternity in view? Let's pray this week, friends, for ourselves, for our families, for one another, for the church, that we would experience such a manifestation of God's grace that we become, through His working in us, a patient people, not just in the line at Walmart, that would be good as well, not just at Chick-fil-A, not just when we're waiting on stuff, but we would have patience and waiting, active waiting through whatever good and bad comes our way. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for your word. Thank you for showing us what, how you want us to live, whether life is easy or hard. Where I know there's some who are here right now, some in the gym, and some who are at home who are in a hardship right now. Lord, for those who are walking through trials and sufferings right now, whether it's sickness or broken relationships or financial issues or uncertainty, or you know what they're walking through right now, Lord, would you today just so turn their minds from the temporal to the eternal that, God, they find strength that perhaps they've not found in the midst of walking through this trial that they're walking through right now. But, Lord, we confess we all need that, whether it's an easy season or a hard season. Lord, we know that you've not promised an easy life for any of us. God, you've promised us that hardships will come. That's part of life as your children in a broken and fallen world. But Lord, we trust in your sovereign plan that you bring good in the midst of the brokenness, that you work good in us. Even like we saw in James 1 so many weeks ago, Lord, that we can consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. Because we know that testing our faith produces perseverance, and perseverance has to have its full effect so we can be mature and complete. Lord, thank you for taking even brokenness around us, using it to conform us to Christ's likeness to mature us, to grow us, to change us. God, we are so thankful we worship a God who's so big that you can take the brokenness of life and redeem it for good. So Lord, we ask this week for much grace, much grace upon grace this week, Lord, to not live for the temporal, but for the eternal. Would you so fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you so fixate our eyes on the second coming of Christ that the things that perhaps in the last few days or even this morning frustrate us and made us impatient, God, those will just kind of fade away because we'd be living with eternity in view and not with a temporal in view. As you grow us, I pray that we'll have so many opportunities to point our kids, to point our neighbors, to point our friends and our coworkers and our classmates to the hope we have in Christ. Because Lord, we know if we're seeking to actively wait when life is hard for us, if we're seeking to do good to others when we're struggling ourselves, Lord, we know the people around will wonder. So I pray as the scripture says, that we'll be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in you. So would you open up those doors of conversations this week that we could be your light in the communities around us, Lord. And we'll give you the praise for all that you're doing, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning? No. 
Jesus, Father, we are here, hopefully, God, actively, patiently waiting on your return, Father. When you call your bride home, when you come to get your church, God, so that we will worship you around your throne, God, as we sing. You are holy, God, and that you will reign forever. God, teach us to patiently wait, God. Teach us to be active during that waiting, God. Not to be seen idle in your return, God. That we will be doing the work that you have called us to do, God. That we will be doing the work as we patiently wait your coming. God, be with us now as we go. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.